You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's Super Bowl time. You can sign up at MyBookie. Use our promo code GATERS to get your first ever deposit match dollar for dollar. Bet on all the Super Bowl game props as well. Bet on anything, anywhere, anytime with MyBookie. This is a special place, right? I mean, this is, you know, this is a real opportunity, right? One that's very capable, you know? Uh, The key here is that we take all this potential and we translate that to performance, right? Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Certainly never a dull moment on National Signing Day, but maybe a little dull. Dull than we wanted, Will Miles. Here we are, on National Signing Day. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can follow me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SEC. Will Miles joins me. Follow him on Twitter at WellMilesSEC and at Read and Reaction. Will it's setting up for not too much of a dull day for Florida, but in the end, kind of disappointing, uh, a dull finish to Billy Napier's first 2022 recruiting class for the Gators. We'll get into the class, you know, overall transition class, for a transition class, not bad, but you know, just on the day of National Signing Day, Florida – had a, some targets, going after those targets. Felt good, but in the end, didn't was not able to to wrangle in the top targets. So we'll get into it here, uh, Will. But um, Billy Napier's first National Signing Day in the books. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one I think most of us would like to forget. Felt a little bit like uh, like Lucy and Charlie Brown with the football getting pulled from out from under you as the uh, as the news came through for Trevante Citizen and then and then Harold Perkins and obviously by the time Jacoby Matthews made his decision at seven o'clock, pretty much everybody knew um, that he was going to Texas A and M just like every other recruit this cycle. So. Uh, you know, hey, look, it's it the reality is is Napier said at his press conference, you're not gonna hit on all of them. I think there are some very positive things in this class. I think there are also some things that are concerning. And you know, I had my my preview up this week for National Signing Day, and one of the things that I said is that what 
getting Perkins or getting Matthews was going to do was answer questions about Napier's ability to recruit and win those battles with the big boys. And I don't know that it has, I, I don't think that this has answered it in a negative way that he can't get it done, but I think it means it's still an open question, right? And yeah. so at the end of the day, it's an open question. We've been saying now for a while and specifically i think when they were like down ranked like 77th said for a while you're probably looking at a class that ends up somewhere in the 15 to 20 range there was an opportunity to get up above that if they hit on a guy like perkins but at the end of the day not able to put that uh not able to get put pen to paper and get him to sign and so i think you have a class that it is that is an effective uh, transition class but You've fallen behind again further, right? You've fallen behind Georgia. You've fallen behind Alabama. You've fallen behind Texas A&M. Those top three teams in the SEC occupy the one, two, and three slots there in the recruiting, and that's where Napier needs to get. And so that's what we need to see next year is one of those three teams battling at the top needs to be Florida. And, you know, we'll obviously be here monitoring it the whole way through and seeing whether the relationships and, you know, that whole one day at a time, one person at a time stuff sounds great. But 2023 is when the rubber hits the road, and you're really going to have to see it next year. Um, 12th isn't going to be good enough. Certainly 20th, where Florida State is this year, is not going to be good enough next year. And, uh, you know, that's sort of what we've been saying all along, right, is that 2023 is where you really got to look at it. And 2022 is more of a building your foundation and putting everything in place. So he's got his whole staff in place, He, except for maybe a couple of people. He mentioned that today. He has gone through the the development uh, or at least the rapid fire um, recruiting that happens with the transition class. And now he's got some time and we'll see what he can do with it. All right, let's get into what Billy Napier had to say on the approach and where Florida stands after national signing day uh, before we break down this uh, class a bit more and what happened here on national signing day. This is a special place, right? I mean, this is, I don't think I've ever batted a thousand on signing day. Um, you have to tell some of our young people in the building, hey, this is a little more like baseball here, right? We, we got to, you know, you got to swing a lot, um, you know, and make contact. And at the end of the day, we need 25 really good hits, right? We need, so it requires a little bit of um, perspective, if that makes sense. So, uh, and resiliency, I would say. So, you know, you got to have a short memory. You got to move on to the next one. And certainly, as a competitor, you know some of those things that maybe you learned as a competitor, you can apply to recruiting for sure. But uh, you know, we feel a lot of needs. You know, I'm confident in each individual player that we've added, what they bring to the uh, team. Certainly, the jobs that we think they can do for our team. Uh, but we're never, you know, I don't think anybody's ever completely satisfied with what happens. There we go, Will. So you there's kind of the process, and you know, of course, not never satisfied uh, with the process. And look at this, um, this his first class, this transition class. And look, I think a lot of it, ha of course, has to do with expectations coming into uh, to this final day, and probably where you stand, and 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 the perception of uh, Florida right now. Uh, I do think, uh, like you said, kind of going back to your point, yeah, it's more, it's probably still more open ended than some fans out there want it to be. I, you, you get your you know the the look of the the uh, of the class and a chance, a big chance for it to be you know to, to answer some questions is 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 more can can he hit again like he did on early signing day? Can you get those big targets like you got on early signing day? Can you get the Devin Moore, the Shamar James uh, type, type type of recruits, Kamari Wilson? Can you 
replicate that on National Signing Day. And that was the big storyline coming in. And that, of course, uh, did not happen, of course. And I think the, the, a lot of it really does have to do with the, the expectation coming in. And then late, uh, of course, coming in, Trevante Citizen and then you know, the, the thought that Florida may be able to reel him in too with not really a whole lot of inclination that it was going to happen up until – National Signing Day Eve, the 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 you know the day before, uh, so I think a lot of it really does have to do with expectations, with how disappointed you are uh, in, in the day in the finish uh, for Florida. Uh, so and then the perception, uh, I, I do think we're we're getting a little bit too fast, Will, and kind of going to your point of maybe a lot of people wanted the question answered already is Florida ready for the big boy recruiting is Florida ready to close the gap versus Georgia and Alabama and Texas A&M. And yeah, we didn't, we, we didn't get that answer uh, today. I don't, Ultimately, I don't think we're going to get it anyway, uh, given a transition class. Uh, but it is a little bit more open-ended right now than I think a lot of people out there uh, want it to be. And that probably falls into how disappointed you are uh, in the finish. Yeah, I mean, I think there are fair points on both sides, right? The, the Napier coming in a week and a half before early signing day. Um, the class sort of all already falling apart before Mullen was even fired and then further after Mullen was fired. The fact that the staff hadn't even been calling some of the guys that Napier was all of a sudden calling to try to get to come to Gainesville that when he came in guys like Nick Evers and Jaden Gibson decided to go elsewhere after having some initial meetings with him um, and then you know but at the same time I mean look the only thing you can compare him to is prior administrations and this recruiting class compares much more it, it's in between Dan Mullen's transition class in 2018 and Jim McElwain's transition class in 2015. So, you know, if you just look at star ratings, Mullins had 18 guys in his class, an average star rating of 3.67. Napier's got 17, an average star rating of 3.41. Mullen, his average national rank for the players he signed was 399.7. Napier at 702.7. And then the average positional ranking for Mullins recruits was 16.4. And for Napier was 47.5. So you start comparing those sorts of things and you say, okay, like the expectation was that Billy Napier was going to be a step up in recruiting compared to Dan Mullen. But when you actually compare these transition classes, that's not true. Now, the interesting thing is, is that, and this is really the criticism of Mullen, is that the recruiting never got any better from that first year. And yeah. so if the recruiting stays right where it is right now, except there's 25 or 26 guys in next year's class, you and I are going to be the first ones who are out there being highly, highly critical of it. I think the other thing that's very interesting is that if you look at like a recruiting class like Miami's, they've got a lot of guys in that sort of 100 to 250 range. I think they've got five guys ranked in the, you know, between 101 and 200. But and but they only have a couple of top 100 guys, and those guys are both ranked below Florida's top 100 guys, so Kamari Wilson and Shamar James. And so the interesting thing is, is when you look at how those two classes are built, Miami's rated higher with less recruits and has a much higher overall recruit ranking. But the recruit the recruits that they brought in are in sort of that no man's land where a guy ranked. 150th and a guy ranked 400th kind of usually from an odds perspective end up being about the same odds to make it to the NFL and be an impact player. I will be really interested to see whether the 17 guys that Florida's brought in three or four years from now, what are, what is, 
what do we think of those guys compared to the 13 that Miami's brought in and uh, and what Crystal Ball's done down there? So there's some comparison points here. I think if we look at the prior transition classes, I think this is disappointing compared to those. I think, you know, you look at guys like Nick Saban who've built championship teams. They wound up ranked 12th overall. Um, but all you really need from a transition class is a couple of guys to be all SEC players. Because if you look at Mullen's 2018 class, yeah, it was ranked higher, but you got contributions from Jacob Copeland, Richard Garage, Emery Jones, Kyle Pitts, Amari Bernie a little bit, Trey Dean a little bit, Damian Pierce, and that's about it, unless you want to yeah. go all the way down to Evan McPherson down there at the bottom. So again, the question is going to be these 17 guys, where do you get contributions? And if Kamari Wilson and Shamar James both turn into all SEC players, then this is an un unbelievable transition class. If both of those guys flame out, we're going to look back and say, whew, that was a rough one, right? And, and the disappointment at missing out on Perkins, the disappointment at missing out on Matthews, the disappointment at missing out on Citizen is that those guys are all – um, another lottery ticket essentially to get that all SEC player in this particular class. And they need one or two to supplement what hopefully is a monster class next year. Now I will say that 17 players means that you've now got eight slots. You can count back from the next year. So you look at Texas A&M's class, I think they got 29 guys in their class this year. And the only reason you could do that is because you have less guys the previous year. And so Napier has, has saved up a couple of open chambers in the gun to, to fill with guys who are high, high, high level next year and, or, and, or bring in guys who are transfers. Right. And so he talked a little bit during the press conference today about the scholarship limitation at 85 and how that impacts how many transfers they're going to bring in. Well, that scholarship limit as well, as well as the counters and the way that works is going to, it works that way for the 2023 class as well. So again, I can understand why people would be disappointed. I look at it and I, I mean, I had high hopes for today that at least one of those guys was going to end up wearing yeah. orange and blue. And the fact that none of them does means that you go, okay, well on to next year. And, and that's disappointing, right? Because you do want an answer. Like Harold Perkins comes to campus and you go, okay, like, Perkins and Wilson are two of the better players to set foot on Gainesville's campus in the last four or five years. And regardless of what the rest of the class looks like, you can point at that top end and say, Hey, look, we've got some real top end talent coming in. Um, you know, as of right now, there's some top end talent, but there's also a lot of guys who are going to be development players, which means that the transfer portal and the guys who come over, they're going to have to hit on. Right. And really, when you think about what Florida has been the last three or four years, guys like Trevon Grimes, guys like Van Jefferson hit, and Florida is able to continue to motor on and win a bunch of games when guys like Justin Shorter and and Tyrone Truesdell and Antonio Valentino don't necessarily turn into difference makers, then all of a sudden the, the program struggles. And so what you don't want to do is get in that revolving door of constantly having to rely on the transfer portal. You'd much rather be like Alabama, right, where you're using the transfer portal to essentially just um, sort of supplement in areas where maybe you need a little bit of competition or where you maybe lost a guy or two because of injury or transfer. Yeah, well, so look, there's a reason uh, for it, I think. Too. I think that's where I want to go with this. And I think, uh, of course, recruiting, most of the time, it's a, you either get them or you don't. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty cut and dry uh, of, of how people feel. Like, look, they don't care about excuses. Look, we, we, look, we've been there. We've beat this drum. We've beat the recruiting drum for ever since we started Gators Breakdown and, and, and hammered in on recruiting and how important it is and, and all that. And I'm not trying to make excuses uh, for this. It is a transition class uh, that that's going to play into it as well. But, uh, you, I mean, there's, I think, different ways to look at this transition class. Uh, and, you know, it was really – 
going into today, Will, with those targets that Florida was going after, I mean, it was a big risk, but a big risk that you know really needed uh, to be taken here uh, by, by, by Billy Napier. And uh, we know the future of Florida recruiting. He was asked about it today, so we'll get into it. But the future of Florida recruiting is going to be based on in-state talent. And that's where you know today it was based on big out-of-state targets. So um, Billy Napier was asked about that today, and like I really think that goes pretty far into you know the, basically what ended up being the struggle on uh, on National Signing Day. We've heard for decades that you got to take care of your backyard in in Florida in the state. Six six only six guys from the state. Do you feel like that's where you need to make inroads moving forward, or is that just kind of, and is that just kind of a one year kind of blip, given that you're from? Yeah. Louisiana and whatnot. Yeah, no question. I mean, I think that it's a product of the circumstance. You know, I think, um, you know, we were basically just had to go evaluate the players that were available, right? We and we looked all over the country. You know, and I think we're pretty spread out in this class. So, I think that's a product of the circumstances. Those are the players that, you know, we felt like fit us from an evaluation standpoint, and then we had the resources to go get that accomplished. You know, I think that's the one thing to remind ourselves of is, you know, that Florida brand is strong and it, it spread out and was able to do good work. But, um, you know, our, our approach is going to be inside out. There's no question. Um, I think history would indicate that when Florida has a really good football team, you know, it starts right here in our backyard and works out. So uh, that's the approach that we will take, uh, and certainly with the 23 group. Um, which we've already started on, you know, that'll be the mentality for sure. Well, that goes a long way for me not overreacting about today. Would I love to for the, those guys, and we'll get into the storylines, but would I love for Florida to hit on those big targets? Yes. But, you know, like I said, it was a risk that needed to be taken of going out of state. And we've, we've talked ad nauseum about, you know, how Florida should have been doing better in state. And I think that's part of uh, the struggle with this class. You, you stepped into a bad situation in the state of Florida. Uh, there, there wasn't much of an option for Napier to finish this class based off of in-state recruiting. That would have helped a lot, I think. And, and if some of these big targets were in-state guys, then I think we'd get more of an idea of maybe – uh, uh, the, the path of recruiting uh, under Billy Napier. But I don't think we got it because of these big targets being out of state. You know, Mullen left nothing to help in that regard uh, for the in-state talent. The state's best talent's already signed and gone pretty much by the time Napier hits the ground. Uh, so this class was going to have to be built out of state if you wanted to hit on top talent. And Louisiana was a place, Texas was a place, of course, go, go, given Billy Napier's uh, history there. But Going to the state of Louisiana, going with everything that was happening at LSU, Louisiana was a, a prime state for Billy Napier because of his history and what was going on at LSU. Uh, this was well, it was always going to be a tough task, uh, but it was about the only path for a big splash for Billy Napier because of the lack of in-state talent, lack of in-state targets, and the lack of you know the, the the groundwork laid by the previous staff or lack of groundwork laid by the previous staff uh in state and you, you hit that early on early signing day kamari wilson devin moore you get those guys in state early uh but also you you're the big target shamar james chris mcclellan you got those two on early signing day but you know, it was very interesting to me you got the the best players in the class on early signing day 
So there wasn't much left today to go get. You had to go out of state to go get them. You had to go pursue Harold Perkins, Jacoby Matthews, Javante Citizen, Trevor Etienne uh, to, you know, for this class to, to, to finish out on a high note. It was going to be very difficult. All the connections to LSU, all the connections to Texas A&M for those recruits. It's, it's, look, that's not going to be the case for moving forward in recruiting. Starting with the 2023 class. It'll be about more of the in-state kids, more prospects now that we see Billy Napier having a relationship with, relationships of the, of the, of the coaches that he's been out there creating. You and I have brought up the whole point of that big coaching convention that was there a couple you know, weeks ago, and they had never heard from Dan Mullen and, and taking part in that. Billy Napier's there already shaking hands and, and getting really to know coaches. You know, we'll see that pay off uh, in, in 2023. More of a relationship, you know, f- that he's going to be building for months now, not these last few weeks. So I don't want to make excuses for the, the misses of the day. They are misses, but I do think there are reasons for those misses that I just don't think hold up in evaluating the staff moving forward, their potential to recruit at a high enough level to compete. I like the process. I like the foundation. A lot of the conversations I've had from – people closer to the program and everything that's changing, I think it's going in the right direction. I lo- would have loved to see Florida get their share today, but I can't get myself worked up. I can't get the little bit of, you know, overreaction. I think that says, Oh no, nothing's changed. This is the same old, same old based off of a transition class based of based off of what we saw today, because I really do think that you know, the process is being laid to now you go hit in state. And I think, you can cherry pick out of state. So I, I don't think the in-state option was here that is going to be there in the future. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a fair assessment, but I also think it's a little bit of excuse making. I think at the end of the day, like you don't, you, you can evaluate it based on who's on your roster. And when you go and you play LSU or you go and you play Texas A&M or you go and you play Georgia, nobody's going to feel sorry for you that you didn't have, you know, that during your transition class, your state had already been raided. Now, part of that absolutely is a reflection on Dan Mullen. And quite honestly, you know, uh, Manny Diaz and, and, uh, and the guy up at Florida State as well, you start looking at that and go, geez, like, everybody's leaving the state. Like no one was deciding between Florida state and had to flip. Everybody was deciding between A&M, Georgia and Alabama, and you would have had to flip them. So yeah, it becomes a little bit difficult there. Like, you know, when Napier, when Napier came in, once he sort of, once the guys who weren't solid decided to leave, the class was ranked 77th nationally, had an average player rating of 87.6. Sort of the Gators were sitting there about 25th overall. So if he had just filled up the class, with the exact same quality that was in the class when he took over, that's where the class would have ended up. Class is going to end up around 19th. Obviously, you still got Arliss Boardingham on the on the uh, yep. on the list who might potentially come this way, but you know, so they're going to end up right around that 18th, 19th spot. Um, there you go. You know, the, hey, there you go. So depending yep. upon who's ranking them, um, you're going to end up in that spot. So it, it's not as though he's done a terrible job. It's just that he hasn't gone above and beyond what expectations are, right? So you sit there and you look at, it and you're right. You know, the guys that he pulled in, like Kamari Wilson and Devin Moore and Shamar James in that early signing day, sort of set the expectation that Florida isn't going to lose any of these battles, or at least the Florida's going to be ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Tom, Tom Bink is part of this. What if those guys had signed today? How much better? Yeah. Would we, how, 
How much better well, would you feel? <laughs> it's interesting because as I was writing my preview article this week, the, the thing that I was looking at is I'm like, God, there aren't any numbers that say this class is all that great compared to some of the transition classes before. The perception of what he did during early signing day is really what made you feel like you were secure with Billy Napier. And plus the fact that everything you hear from people that we know, just people on the ground, like everything you hear is that the tone and sort of the feel of the program is completely different. And, you know, you got people like Katie Turner and Bree Wade out there on Twitter, certainly giving things a little bit different flavor. And so you start putting those things together and you go, hey, we're really building something here. Now, the one thing I think we need to make sure that we're that we're clear on is that we've always been very conscientious about talking about process and that process is more important than results. So you look there and you go, look, Harold Perkins being interested is a big deal. Because having a guy like Perkins interested says that Napier is pretty good at selling. Now, it also says that he probably shouldn't try to go into Louisiana and pull guys who <laughs> have dreamed about going to LSU their entire life over to, you know, over to Florida. I think at the end of the you really need to make sure that you're that the process now is Jacksonville. The process now is Lakeland. The pro the process now is getting up towards Tallahassee. The process is having things in place in South Florida. And if you think about it, you know, he said today that he's been traveling and focusing on the 2022 class, but then trying to like make his way around for 2023. That's not true. Cause if it was true, he wouldn't be going to all these high schools and taking pictures, of all these high school coaches and, and doing high school camps and all that sort of stuff. That is a process to make sure that you have good relationships with coaches in the state of Florida. And that has nothing to do with the 2022 class. So, you know, at the, at the end of the, at the end of the day, I think there is concern that, that you weren't able to close the deal concern that you, you know, it would have been fantastic to pull these guys from out of state at the same time, what you, and I think I want to see is a process that leads to results. And so if high school coaches are raving about Billy Napier in the state of Florida, if five-star recruits from Jacksonville, Lakeland, you know, Boca Raton, Lake, Lake City, like all those places sort of around Gainesville are considering Florida and he's now starting to sign a at least a 50% clip on them, then you say, okay, the process is starting to pay off. He said himself when he came, if he can't sign 25 good players, then we should be looking for a new coach. And, uh, you know, I'm not ready to hold him to that yet, but next year we'll be ready to hold him to that. So, you know, look, it, it goes back to what you said. I think we all were hoping we would get an answer to is Napier a significant upgrade when it comes to recruiting is Florida now ready to compete with the big boys. We didn't get that answer today. And that doesn't mean that the answer isn't yes. It just means that we're not sure that the answer is yes. And we're also not sure that the answer is no, but it's cloudy. And so, you know, nobody likes uncertainty. And so you're going to have people on both sides of the argument. But I think, I think there are reasons to be very encouraged from this patience, class. Right? <laughs> What's that? It's green patience, right? <laughs> well, so he didn't do himself a lot of favors today when he mentioned there are a couple more to come during the news yeah. conference <laughs> and sort of got everybody excited. <laughs> Oh, he knows something we don't, right? So, um, again, that would be the first PR misstep in uh, in the Billy Napier era, <laughs> getting, getting everybody excited. Look, and well, I, I want to go back to your, what, what, I guess, to your point. I guess maybe it does sound like I was excuse making whatever. I just don't, you know, you talked about the process and the instant. I just don't think that you know, there was not the opportunity for the process to play out. Well, I mean, so he clearly was left in a hole that the previous Florida administrations have not left their coaches in 
right? Like I think Dan Mullen from a talent perspective has left him a roster that's more talented than the roster that, that Mullen inherited from, from Jim McElwain. But I think when Jim McElwain, our good friend, Bud Bud Elliott, Florida has 66% blue chip percentage. And I think that was like top, top five, six or something like that. There was a, there were a few teams at that 66%. Yeah. So the, I mean, heck the team was like, uh, again, you go back to like the, the roster rankings that 24 seven has, they were like the seventh ranked roster in the country this past year. <laughs> it doesn't do you any good when you go six and seven, obviously, but so talent is an issue when you come up against Georgia and is an issue when you come up against, um, when you come up against Alabama, but it shouldn't be an issue when you come up against Kentucky and it shouldn't be an issue when you come up against, you know, even LSU the last couple of years. And so, you know, the, I guess I look at it and say, we didn't gain any ground on those folks today, but I'm not yeah. sure we lost a bunch of ground to the folks who we should be beating, right? The, the only team that maybe Florida lost a little bit of ground to today is Missouri. And I don't expect Missouri to be somebody who's constantly, um, you know, nipping at Florida's heels on the recruiting trail. Once we get somebody who puts the full process in place. So Napier came here talking about process. He came here talking about being patient. I know Florida fans and myself in particular are not notorious for being patient, but I think we need to be patient, but the patience is not, we'll wait until he see, he shows it on the field. The patience is this 2023 class needs to start filling out and filling out quickly. And, you know, by the time we get to August, we're going to know really whether this 2023 class is different than the things that we've seen with Dan Mullen and different than the things we've seen with Jim McElwain. So, you know, look, I don't think it's time to throw yourself off a cliff, but I think it's time to sit back and take another look and say, all right, well, six months from now, let's see where we are because that's going to be more telling for the program than right today. And that's sort of all always the way it is, right? Is, you know, you're always six months away from a good recruiting class and six months away from, from recruiting sub elite. And, you know, Mullen could never quite get over that hump and we'll see what Napier can do. Now I will say the history for Napier is pretty positive, right? So he, when he took over, at uh, at Louisiana, I think he had like the 105th ranked recruiting class, and it was like fifth or sixth in the in the Sun Belt. And then all of a sudden, he rolled off four straight years where they were first in the Sun Belt and in sort of like the high 60s and low 70s. And so what that sort of says is that he's got the ability to make that jump. And that was actually something I remember. I gave a talk at the Gainesville Quarterback Club right before Napier was hired, and that was one of the things that when you looked at the coaches who were available a lot of the coaches didn't necessarily show a real significant jump from that first class to the second class. And the two guys who showed that pretty, the two guys who showed that, that I evaluated for that particular talk were Napier and then Hugh Freeze. Those were the two guys who, when they got in their first class, eh, it was okay. They sort of matched what they had seen previously. And in fact, if you go back and look at Louisiana, Napier basically matched what his predecessor was doing at Louisiana that first year, which is kind of what he did, maybe a little bit behind Mullen, but this is pretty much an equivalent class when you really start digging deep into the into the numbers and the quality of the players. Right, especially where this class was 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 trendy before the fire. Sure. But again, I go back to, you know, it's not as though Louisiana was in a good place and Napier took over. So Napier takes over, essentially matches what his predecessor had done on the recruiting trail, and then blew him out of the water for four straight years after that. So that's the expectation, right? The expectation. And we know that that's what's going to have to happen because, um, you know, I think think it was no SEC champion since like Georgia in like 2005. 
five has won the SEC championship without having a top five class four years prior to winning the, the SEC title. And if you, fa- if you take Auburn out of that, nobody's won without having a top two class. So mm. what it takes to win top the two, SEC. Top two in conference. Top two in conference? No, top two nationally. Yeah, top two overall. If, if, you look, if, if you look at the four classes before they win the SEC championship, Alabama, yeah. Georgia, LSU, Florida, all those teams that, that have won the SEC championship, they've had at least one top two class, except for Auburn, who had top yeah. five classes for their two SEC championships, and then the Georgia team under Mark Richt that won the that won the SEC championship did not have they had like a seventh and a tenth or something like that. So you got to go all the way back to you know back when recruiting rankings were just starting. You're just to, starting, yep. <laughs> to, to to start so basically once we started tracking this stuff um and and sort of got a, a track record uh, pretty much to win the SEC you got to have at least I mean I would say top 2, right? Is sort of what the what the benchmark is. One of them, you know, they're seventh, third, sixth second and and you know you'll see that now alabama obviously is like one one two one and georgia's mm-hmm. been that too the last couple of years but um there's there's a defined necessity to to recruit at that level and and bill sykes has written for my site and i'm sure you'll have bill on at some point you always sort of get him get him around bill when recruiting a, comes up bill, but, uh, bill will be on monday hey awesome so you know look he wrote something on my site a couple of years ago where he talked about you know, what needs to happen for a bump class. You got to have an increase of 8.2 spots in the national rankings, an increase of 2.3 spots in the conference rankings. You need 2.35 stars, an average national ranking of 4.7, and an average conference ranking of 2.3. Those are for all SEC championship coaches since 2005. So that's what you're looking for. You need an average national ranking of essentially four, an average conference ranking of two, and you need 17 blue chips, and two or three of them need to be five stars. The expectation for next year, we'll see whether he can do it. But um, you go and look at all those guys who were who won SEC championships, and their classes were not significantly better than what Napier put up today. Maybe four or five spots in the rankings, maybe an extra blue chip or two. But you start sort of going through. Like if you go through Kirby Smart's 2016 class, you start listing all the guys there. There are probably five guys who started for Georgia out of that class. You go and look at the Alabama class in 2007. There are probably five guys who started for Alabama out of that class. The reality is, is it's you're putting together a, a class so quickly and you're sort of trying to pick and choose from different areas. And I think one of the things that we days, to- will, that's what he said today, mm-hmm. 59 yeah. days since he, yeah. since he flew into Gainesville. So one of those things that you got to realize is is that you're going to have a lot of attrition. You're going to have a lot of turnover and you're not going to get a ton out of this class. So when we look at it again, you go and look at Mullins 2018, basically Copeland, Emory Jones, Kyle Pitts, and Damian Pierce. Those are the four guys that you would say were, were positive contributors to the team where you said that's a starter and I want him on the field. Um, Trey Dean and Amari Bernie were sort of up and down. Justin Watkins was a high guy who never really, you know, who got kicked off the team. And then Richard Garage, I think you would say as well, since he was yeah. a, he was a. Hey, I, put, we'll I mean, I put Garage and I put Garage and Dean and stuff like probably above Emory as far as yeah. you know, I mean, it's, but, uh, we're, don't get me wrong, not great contributors, but more so positive than than that. And you're right. I mean, the, the history shows there's in this transition class. For no matter where you go, look, you're lucky to get you're lucky to get a few big time contributors. Well, and if you think about who Florida got at 
signing day in that 2018 class. I want to say that the guys that committed were Justin Watkins, who never played, mm-hmm. uh, Malik Langham, who never played, and then Andrew Chatfield, who played very, very slightly and then transferred out. Like if if we go back and look, I'd have to go back and look at my notes, but I'm pretty sure that that those are the three guys who committed on signing day. There was a guy at like the, in the top 100. There was a guy in the top 200 and a guy in the top 300. I know Langham and Chatfield were guys who recruited, who, who signed on that day. And so you think about that. I mean, just look at the list. Chatfield, David Reese, Malik Langham, Iverson Clement, John Huggins, Chris Blake, Randy Russell, Dante Lang, Griffin McDowell. Until you get down to Evan McPherson, like basically from, you know, that, that 11 or 12 spot on, out of the 18 guys, you don't get any sort of contributions really to the team at all. And that's not unique to Dan Mullen. If you do the same thing with the 2015 class for Jim McElwain, you're going to run. (laughs) Go for it. Read it off for me. Okay. Here's your top four from that class. Martez Ivy, contributor. CeCe Jefferson, contributor. Jordan Scarlett, contributor. Antonio Callaway, contributor. (laughs) So McElwain, those top four he hit on, Jordan Cronkite, Tyler Jordan, Chris Williamson, Daniel Motorbot, and Motor Bebe. I think that's how I think I said that right. Well, he um, played at like 17 different schools, didn't he? Seven, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, not another contributor till um, maybe one of the best ones out of the bunch, besides Antonio Callaway, Jabari Zuniga. Sky Polite, Zuniga, yeah. Yep. Uh, Brandon Sandifer, Cameron Knight, Kylan Johnson, Khalif Jackson, Andrew Ivey, Kavanis Davis, Richard Desir Jones. Fred Johnson, there you go. Nick Buchanan, Rashad Jackson, Luke Ankrum. Well, and if you if you so five, okay, six. that's Florida and well, that's Florida and Florida wasn't successful. Here's Alabama's transition class under Nick Saban: Michael Ricks, Luther Davis, Rolando McLean, very good player, Brandon Gibson, William Vlachos, who is an offensive lineman, Alex Watkins, Demetrius Good, Chris Lett. Alfred McCullough, Nick Gentry, Jeremy Griffin, Marquise Mays, again, a name that you recognize, Jamar Taylor, Kareem Jackson, somebody you recognize, Nick Fanuzzi, Patrick Crump, Josh Chapman, Terrence Farmer, Chavis Williams, Darius Hanks, Jeremy (laughs) Elder, Jennings Hester, Chris Underwood, J.B. Kern, Logan Thomas, Michael DeJohn, Rob Azell, Colin Gallagher, Mark Holt. Four guys. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, here, let's do it for Georgia, too, because that's always a fun one. Hold on, let me find them. Um, cause I was looking at that one thinking about, so Georgia actually had much higher, um, a much higher ranking in the transition class. So it was like, well, they had a much higher ranking. Surely they will be better. Jacob Eason, Nicole Hardman, Isaac Nada, Julian Rochester, Ben Cleveland, Chauncey Manick, Mikhail Carter, Charlie Werner, Elijah Holyfield, Jaleel Legwins, Riley Ridley. That's a good one. Tyler Clark, Javon Wims, who was a community college transfer, Chad Clay, Tyler Simmons, David Marshall, Chris Barnes. So again, I don't need to sit here and do this the entire time, but the point is, is that you start looking at it. And I think a lot of us looked at Isaac Nada and said, that guy's going to be a stud. And then it turns out that Isaac Nada really struggled in some capacity. Um, You know, when he was there, when he was there at Georgia, he never met his potential. Well, the question is, is that because he was a transition guy who came into a program where he didn't necessarily fit, or he came into a program where the relationships weren't there or whatever. Right. So, not making excuses. I'm just saying from an expectations perspective, the expectations should be that when we look back at this 2022 class, we're going to say, wow, you know, Kamari Wilson, Shamar James, Devin Moore, and Jamari Lyons are the four guys who really stood out from that particular class. And everybody else, eh, like there were a couple of contributors in there, but nobody who really like changed the program. 
And I think next year, obviously, we're going to need to see that. And I think one of the things we're going to need to look for is what can Napier do with the 2020 and 2021 classes that Mullen brought in so that he can sort of use next year's class and this year's class to supplement the guys who are already in the program. Yeah, much different too. Transfer portal, you throw into the mix there, Osiris Torrance. But you know, you're looking here for when you look at your transfer portal, Will, and you start throwing that in, you're looking at instant instant contributors that you know you didn't necessarily really have in the Jim McElwain transition class, uh, Dan Mullen transition class because of the transfer portal and early signing day, basically just starting uh, to kind of form there. Still more of the traditional recruiting outside of transfer portal. Um, re- re- recruiting that we see it now. So, you know, of course, that had changed some things as well, and uh, that goes into the rankings. So there's a, a list right there um, that, that we'll go to. I just threw that up uh, while Will was talking. So we were, while we were comparing classes there, uh, we'll get into more, more of that in just a second. We'll re-hit we'll, – we'll hit on the highlights or lowlights <laughs> of today, uh, the, the specific storylines, why Florida ended up uh, in certain in, – in the certain rankings – and um, and all that. But before we do, your team might have missed a big game this year, but my bookie's double deposit bonus. Make sure you won't sign up at my bookie now. Use promo code Gators to have your first deposit, the first deposit matched instantly, so you can get in all the action of Super Bowl Fifty Six. The only way watching the biggest game of the year could get any better is to get paid doing it, and my bookie gives you everything you need to do it. With double your money, you can double your winnings, and the best starting point for the big game would, is with Super Bowl prop bets. Whether it's on or off the field, there's no shortage of wagers to choose from for the Super Bowl. So get in on the action, let the confetti fall, and walk away a winner. Don't miss out. Head to my bookie, double your first deposit up to $1,000 by using promo code GATORS. Place your bets. Get ready for unmatched excitement of the Super Bowl. Bet on anything, anytime, anywhere. With my bookie. All right, well, so there, yeah, there's a list there of the commits. Uh, we'll go through one more time. Max Brown at quarterback. David Conner, he's in alphabetical order, by the way. Sit here on YouTube. You can see the graphic of the listed names. Max Brown at quarter, quarterback. David Conner, offensive tackle. Caleb Douglas at wide receiver. We'll get into him in just a bit. Trevor Etienne at running back. Jalen Farmer will get into his storyline a bit, too, for today. Hayden Hansen, Shamar James at linebacker. Montreal Johnson at running back uh, transfer from Louisiana. Jalen Kimber, defensive back transfer from Georgia. Tony Livingston, Jamari Lyons, Chris McClellan, Jack Miller, a quarterback. Miguel Mitchell at safety. Devin Moore, a cornerback. Jack Pyburn, recent commit signee there, of course, from this week. Andrew Savanea, a defensive line. Trace Mack. Osiris Torrance, the offensive line transfer from Louisiana, as well as Cameron Waits, Christian Williams, and Kamari Wilson. There is your 2022 class for the Gators with Arliss Boardingham still out there, possibly to add to this class. Will, there's names. Equals out. Throw this back up there as well. As we look back at today, on 24-7 Sports Composite, Gators come in with the 19th-ranked class. 24-7, also the great idea, the overall rankings, throw in the transfer portal as well. See it right here. 24-7 Sports overall, Gators 17th. 
on three and there's uh on the 24 7 sports composite on three rivals espn of course just a high school uh look at this on three the gators class comes in 25th rivals they are ranked 24th and on espn at 32 there's your summary right there for the gators rank all right well so storylines of today while florida ended up right there in those rankings not as high as most of the fan base wanted because of those big targets out there that Florida was going in for, those out-of-state targets, as I mentioned. Uh, we'll start with the big one. Will Harold Perkins, linebacker, chooses LSU. That was probably one of the biggest ones in question heading into the day. Uh, National Signing Day Eve probably started filtering out more LSU talk, uh, but nobody was really confident uh, in the pick until he absolutely made the pick there uh, with his uh, <laughs> LSU fan family, of course, that you saw there uh, in the pick. But at linebacker, number one linebacker in the country, chooses LSU over Florida. Then the other one that probably hurt the – I won't hear this, sorry. That, that one hurt the most. Uh, but one that hurt a bit because it started trending Florida. Running back Trevante Citizen, National Signing Day Eve, started getting crystal balls to Florida – started trending Florida, heading into National Signing Day, would have thought he would choose Florida over LSU and Auburn. Well, it turns out Miami. Uh, was that back there lurking just a bit, Will? Uh, Citizen ends up committing to the Hurricanes. Miami's, and look, Miami's side even said, you know, I was going through and kind of uh, – I was watching CBS's CBS 24-7 sports coverage, and right before um, Citizen made his decision, Steve Wiltfong hops in and says, hey, I'm here in Miami. He's making a big push for, for, for Citizen. So I start you know, going, going <laughs> on the message boards and stuff, uh, and Miami was saying, yeah, there's, you know, they, they were actually sharing a thought that, hey, there might be a clearer path for him to play at Miami. That chart may come into play here just a bit. So, look, that was initially, and if you go back and listen to Gators breakdown on Monday, and every time I you know, basically brought up Citizen, I didn't have a whole lot of confidence uh, in him, him ending up at Florida just because of Florida's running back situation and numbers. I didn't, they didn't think it made a whole lot of sense, but, of course, got caught up in the whole crystal ball, all the predictions coming in on, on National Signing Day Eve of uh, Citizen and the Gators. Um, but, you know, I just had a hard time seeing it initially, but the picks were coming in. Um, and then you had Montreal Johnson, of course, a transfer for Florida, uh, also getting ETN uh, in this class as well, right with right Bowman Lingard. Now, look, staff still made him a priority. Even with that depth at the Florida running back position, the staff made Citizen a priority. They let it be known they wanted him in Gainesville. Uh, but you know, I just, I never felt great about it. But of course, Start, you had to start following the crystal balls and the people who are supposed to know that was the, the, the that was the pick, Will. Uh, so in the end, it happens. Look, you want to stack, you want to stack talent at any in any possible way you can. Javante Citizen is one of the best running backs out there, one of the best running backs available. Would have been a huge coup for the for, for this gator. The gator staff wanted him, wanted to add him to this running back depth. In the end, Florida has good talent at running back. Will he just could have got even better? Yeah, I mean, I think you know the reality is is that um, there are a lot of places where Florida has good talent. The question is, what happens when there's an injury? What happens when there's a transfer? What happens when there's a guy who doesn't necessarily fit the program? All those sorts of things. And you know, the the 
I hesitate to call players lottery tickets because that feels like you're treating them like a commodity. <laughs> but the reality is, is that these guys all have um, some odds. There's some percentage they're going to pan out. And Citizen has a higher percentage than some of the guys who are ranked lower. And so you want to have a guy like Citizen on your stat or on your roster, just like you want a guy like Harold Perkins, just like you want a guy like, uh, you know, Jack Pyburn, right? I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with Pyburn as a player. In fact, you kind of need to build your program on guys like Pyburn and guys like Jamari Lyons and guys like Christian Williams and Jalen Farmer. Like those guys are all very important to the program. But at the end of the day, you want can't miss prospects as well. Now, I don't think Citizen is a can't miss prospect. I think I think Perkins is about as close you're going to yeah. get to a can't miss prospect. But the more opportunities you give to get yourself those top, those two, three, four All SEC guys, you need to have a transition class. The better you are. So, you know, yeah, anybody who's like, ah, oh, we didn't really need him. You know, we're okay in the running back room. Uh, no, Napier thought he needed him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone after him, right? Napier realizes yeah. that <laughs> we'll find a spot for a guy who's skilled at the running back position if if we've got two people. Like having two running backs who are excellent is is a good problem to have. And you know, the other thing is is I suspect that <laughs> just based on the numbers of wide receiver, that some that if you build up depth at running back, you might end up having to move some guys out to slot. Yeah. Just because there aren't a lot of guys there at wide receiver on scholarship right now at, at Florida. So um yeah, look, this is going to open up scholarships from the standpoint of not having to push people out the door. So for short term, maybe that's a good thing. It also probably opens up some opportunities to really target people in the transfer portal. One of the nice parts and, about – well, before, And before you even move on from there, 2023 class is loaded at running back in the state of Florida. So there is somewhat of a silver lining, but like I said, I, I don't, I don't want to turn down top players, <laughs> but that's – there's a silver lining if you want to look for one. Well, so here's the deal. Florida hadn't signed a guy out of high school since Naquan Wright when it comes yep. to running backs. So if you want to compare Napier to previous staffs, you get ETN. Right? The fact that you didn't bring two guys in, okay, yeah, I mean it would have been great, but you know, we didn't we didn't get that. The other thing is is I would say from the standpoint of what Florida had to have today, they did get that. So Jack Pyburn, Napier talked about him being on the edge, but also essentially being an outside linebacker. Said the same thing about Savinia, right? That he's going to be an edge rusher, but also a linebacker. If you look at where Florida sits in terms of its linebackers, you know, there are only eight guys, and that's with Amari Bernie. Um, deciding to come back. And so having guys like Savanea, having guys like Pyburn who can step in and maybe even contribute at the linebacker position as well as defensive line, I think is important. Same thing when you think about, um, you know, when you think about the signing of Max Brown, you think about the signing of Etienne, and then you think about the signing of Douglas, right? Those are all open spots that Florida had at quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. So it's important to get those guys. Now, obviously, you want guys who are as skilled as you can get at each of those spots, but, um, you, know, you, you especially for a transition class, I'm actually interested to see whether the balance pays off because, you know, I wrote an article called the five, three theory, and I don't know, I don't know how many people read it, but the, the whole point was focus on the really, really top end guys and then fill out the rest of your roster with guys ranked 300 and below. Cause the guys ranked 300 to 500 basically turn into NFL players at the same rate as guys who are ranked 100 to 300. And so spend your resources on those top guys. And it's interesting because when you look at 
who Napier was targeting. Now, obviously, they didn't get Perkins in, get Matthews in, get Citizen, but they did get Wilson, Shamar James, and McClellan, and those are guys in that top 100. And then, you know, ETN's at 186, and then the next is Devin Moore at 263, and then there's like five or six guys between 300 and 900. And I'm really interested to see what happens from a depth perspective here because the transfer portal does kind of impact how you want to recruit, I think. right? There, there's nobody who's going to be looking to, to poach these guys off of the roster. And guys rated 100th, 150th, 186th, like those guys are people that other programs might go try to poach in the transfer portal. So I do wonder whether this type of approach for a transition class is going to be more effective than some of the ones previously, just because of having the transfer portal, um, having the transfer portal live. But, you know, look, when it comes to Citizen, when it comes to Perkins, I would have loved to have had him. And I'm lying to you if I say I'm not disappointed. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. You move on. Yep. And like you said, Will, too, uh, Matthews, of course, DDB, um, Jacoby Matthews. Uh, looked like Florida was in great shape at, at, at one point. But as we the closer we got to National Signing Day, it was not much of a surprise. Look, it doesn't make, the, doesn't make it any less of a loss or, or, or miss there. But Jacoby Matthews looked like it was just now a Texas A&M LSU battle at the end. I had connections to Corey Raymond from his time to LSU, of course. You thought that hopefully could pay off. Uh, in, in the end, uh, was one of those uh, you know out of state targets that uh, closer to um, Louisiana Texas A and M battle and uh, did, you know fall, falling short on that one. So that was the big three targets, of course, today: Perkins, Citizen, Matthews. Uh, Perkins, you just, just didn't, really just didn't know about heading into the day. Thought there was a chance. Uh, Florida had put themselves. Florida did everything they possibly could uh, to get into that one. But growing up in Louisiana, yeah, he was a Texas kid, but grew up in Louisiana, in New Orleans, family full of LSU fans. Was gonna. I, just, I mean, LSU is just that school, uh, that state school. That it's, it's different. You know, you, you like. If you, well, if you could compare it to Florida, you know, you, 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 Florida is never going to own the state of Florida like LSU owns the state of. Louisiana, but what you hope Florida can own Lakeland and own Jacksonville and own your know, pockets of Florida. They they would own uh, like that. That's that's where you hope this is heading uh, for for in state recruiting or something like that. It's hard to pull those uh, that those LSU those kids that grow up LSU fans uh, ultimately away from there. Uh, and then uh, Matthews that big big LSU Texas A and M battle there. So A and M swoops in at last second gets Matthews. Uh, well, so let's do talk about, you know, shame on me, I guess, you know, for getting to the part where Florida, the, the kids Florida did get uh, today, not to be overlooked here. Uh, but, you know, Caleb Douglas, their wide receiver at the position Florida really, really needed uh, there at, at wide receiver, chose Florida over LSU. So one of those Florida LSU battles uh, Florida did win today. Wide receiver coach Kerry Colbert, very instrumental here, getting an early visit. Uh, from the new look Florida staff meant a lot to Douglas. Uh, Will, Florida's only wide receiver recruit in, in the class after missing on DJ Allen on Tuesday. So Florida needed this one, 6'3", 192, shows good speed for his size, can make some difficult grabs uh, with his long reach, reputation for uh, making plays down the field. Uh, but Florida needed some skill player talent here, especially at the wide receiver position. Uh, and at a position of need, Goes against Douglas, as you can see here on the YouTube version, three-star on the 24-7 sports composite, but on three, much higher. On three has him a four-star uh, there overall as the 296th ranked player in the country and 48th ranked wide receiver. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that that actually is a really interesting uh, thing to look at when you look at some of Florida's players is what the, I guess, standard error is or the standard deviation between each of the rankings. Because, you know, one of the reasons why the five stars always pan out is it's obvious, right? You look at a guy like Harold Perkins, and he just sort of jumps off the tape. Once you get down to 200, 300, 400, now the evaluation really starts to come in. So, you know, Napier mentioned that that Douglas switched from quarterback to wide receiver recently, so he's not a um, – you know, he's not a natural wide receiver. He's been playing that position and going to camps his entire life. Um, he's got good size, obviously, and then, you know, seems to be a good athlete. So you start looking at that and then what you said about wide receivers, right? I mean, geez, there's only eight guys on the roster at this point, scholarship players. You got Justin Shorter, then you got Whittemore, Jamarcus Weston, Xavier Henderson, Jaquavion Frazier's, Marcus Burke, Dejon Reynolds, and Caleb Douglas. You think about his ability to get some playing time. I mean, geez, Shorter, Whittemore, um, Henderson and Frazier's and Weston a little bit. Those are the only guys who really have any uh, any experience out there on the field. So, you know, it wouldn't be a surprise to see him get early playing time just because he's going to have to. I mean, if they want to run four wide and, and have two units of four wide, he's going to be one of those guys who's out there. Um, so a big area of need, a big – um, a big pickup for Florida, especially like you mentioned, DJ Allen going elsewhere, which meant that they needed somebody because you couldn't leave this wide receiver position empty in a recruiting class. And and Caleb Douglas is a really good player. Um, again, I mean, not not a five star guy, but at the same time, you, going to be a valuable contributor to the program. And I think that's one of the things that's sort of the the theme of the day there for Florida is that they they hopefully have a lot of guys who are going to be valuable contributors to the program. Yeah. So one more. Caleb Douglas, 24-7 sports composite three-star, the 470th ranked overall player, 67th wide receiver, a four-star on all three on the own three consensus, 296th player overall, the 48th ranked wide receiver. Uh, well, so one interesting storyline to come out of National Signing Day heading in was the commitment of Jalen Farmer, the offensive lineman. And uh, it's Alabama got into the late mix. Alabama offered last week. He visits Alabama, and it turns out that you know it, it ends up Alabama not really pushing hard in the end. But still, Florida had to fight off Kentucky, Auburn uh, there in the mix as well t- toward the end. But F- Florida does hang on to the commitment of Jalen Farmer, a three-star on the twenty-four-seven Sports Composite, six hundred eighty-seventh ranked overall player there, the thirty-first interior offensive lineman a three-star as well on the own three consensus, 730th overall, 57th-ranked interior offensive lineman. Uh, more likely a guard here, Will, for the Gators, aggressive physical play style. If you look at his highlights, pancakes guys, putting guys on their back here. Uh, Florida sent out here, total 50 tackles and two sacks with a touchdown in the senior season, starting both ways on offense and defense. Two-way player that played left guard and defensive tackle, named the 2021 Georgia 5A Region A Lineman of the Year, three-year starter on an offensive line for East Side High, chose Florida over Kentucky, Auburn, and uh, you know, ultimately those are the two schools there uh, in the end. I know there was that narrative out there, uh, you know, Florida beating Alabama, but from everything I can gather uh, there at the end. Yeah, they, they brought him in on the visit and everything, but decided ultimately uh, not to offer uh, Farmer in the end. But 
Um, I know Corey Bender uh, on, on on three and talking to him. He is really high on Farmer. Thinks he 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 does think this is one that is underrated here along the offensive line for the Gators. So, well, we know the issues along offensive line for Florida uh, in, in recent years. Um, throwing a body uh, at it here, and hopefully much more when it's all said and done. Yeah, I mean, so two things. One is that interior offensive line is a place where Florida struggled. And then the other thing is, is, um, and I don't want to step on it too much, but I've read, read the rough draft that uh, Bill Sykes has. He's writing something for my article or for my website um, on offensive linemen. And so just numbers becomes important. And, you know, Farmer adds to those numbers. And, you know, Florida had an offensive lineman on an official visit this weekend that they decided not to offer. And I'm sure that Farmer came into that play, right, that you had somebody in sort of as a backup plan, but then Farmer decides he's going to come to Gainesville, and that's how you end up with, with him coming. So, you know, you think about David Connor there at offensive tackle, and then you got Christian Williams and Jalen Farmer at guard or interior offensive lineman. You got Cameron Waits coming in as a transfer um, from the 2021 class, but still a redshirt freshman. So you sort of have four guys, really, who are going to be getting their first playing time. And then you've bought some time, too, by bringing a guy like Osiris Torrance um, from Louisiana to be able to allow some of these young guys to develop. So, you know, look, I'm glad to hear people are high on Farmer. I think the more numbers you get at offensive line, the better off you are. Um, you know, we all remember the the Will Muschamp era where we didn't have enough offensive linemen for the spring game. And, uh, you know, that's certainly, I'm suspecting, not going to happen under Billy Napier. He's clearly, um, he's clearly made a point to focus both on the offensive and the defensive lines. In fact, when you look at it, you get the three offensive linemen in this class, and then you've got four defensive linemen, right? When you have McClellan, Jamari Lyons, 7A and Pyburn, obviously 7A and Pyburn might be linebacker, um, defensive end hybrids, but at the same time, you think about what they're doing in terms of focusing. You got 17 guys in the class, and, and seven of them are either offensive linemen or defensive linemen. I think that says something about where Napier's building the program. Farmer, 6'5". 325 listed right there. Heard Will mention the name right here. Jack Pyburn, of course, he committed on Tuesday uh, for the Gators the day before National Signing Day. As Will said, can play all over the front seven. Uh, shines mostly at getting in the backfield as that edge rusher there. Listed as an outside linebacker by Florida, so the outside linebacker buck rush in. Yeah, of course, you know, spent time with Mike Peterson on his visit last week. So well, he has some versatility. Uh, he may have – we'll have to see where he, I mean, he goes with that. You know, 6'3", 265, does he eventually grow out of that? But he's going to be starting uh, in that edge rush, outside linebacker, buck role. However, you know, Florida wants to determine that role, how they'll use that. There'll be multiple uh, up front on defense. But very strong player, plays violent. I'd have to see how he develops more pass rushing moves. Uh, and if you can you know, develop some coverage skills as well. Uh, but tallying 14 sacks, Will, 109 tackles, 32 tackles for loss, uh, two passes deflected, blocked field goal, uh, and fumble recovery, helped bowls uh, to the uh, FHSAA Class 4 State Championship Finals in 2020, semifinals in 2019 and 2021. Chose Florida, of course, over Miami, Minnesota, Auburn. Uh, interesting here, you know, he almost early signed with Minnesota that would have taken him out of the running to ever get that Florida offer, the dream offer. So uh, maybe there's something happened there where he, he could, uh, you know, maybe he was starting to feel he's going to get some more offers, started getting some bigger offers, Miami, of course, Auburn, of course. Uh, so did not early sign uh, with 
uh, with Minnesota. So that leaves him uh, to be able to sign with Florida, of course. Three-star on the 24-7 sports composite, 441st overall player, 36 edge rusher, a three-star on the own three consensus, the 593rd ranked player, 51st edge rusher. Uh, and well, one benefit of here being him, him being here in Jacksonville, here's a short little uh, interview here with Pyburn right after his commitment to Florida. It's going to be it's going to be crazy, and it's going to be another dream. You know, I feel like there's going to be all kind of dreams along this way, but you know, I'm ready for it, and I'm embracing it, and I'm excited. Give me a little more background on on how uh, you know how how quickly you, you felt like you got that connection with with Coach Napier and with his new staff because there wasn't that long courtship that uh, that you had with the other schools. Yeah, I, I would say just you know being able to go on an official visit, you get to spend a lot of the time with the coaches and really get to know them and spend a lot of one-on-one time with it. And just the remarks he was making and the things that he talked about were were all the right things that resonated with me. And I could see that he was very similar-minded to me and had the same visions as me. And so I knew that he was the right coach for me. The fact that you'd gotten to this point with Miami and Auburn, you know, as sort of as front runners, you kind of had been through the process of figuring out what was important to you. Yes, uh, I suppose. So did that make it? A little easier to, 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 to make that decision because you kind of had that template waiting for you? Yes, I, I think it did. And, um, you know, it was still tough because of the relationships I'd built with Auburn and Miami. And like I said there, I could seriously see myself playing at both places. But, you know, I, I thought this was the right fit for me and the perfect opportunity. When you were a six-year-old pretending to be a Gator here in this school, who were you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't even remember. You know, I looked up at players like Tim Tebow and, you know, later, probably six, seven years ago, Jared Davis and, you know, players like that that just played with relentless effort and just believed in the program. And it's just it's those kind of things that just make me want to be like those guys and become a Gator great and, you know, help the standard return. There we go. Jack Pyburn, Will, thanks to uh, Cole Pepper there from News for Jacks to, to for getting that interview, sharing that interview. Definitely excited uh, to be a Gator. I was looking for that dream offer uh, there. So um, just you know, interesting there, Will, that got, got to spend some time with, with, with Billy Napier. Uh, look, it probably didn't have to pull his arm too hard. Once he got that offer, he was grew up a Gator, found with Gators. Uh, but Jack Pyburn ends up picking Florida on the day before National Signing Day. Yeah, well, I mean, he was reciting all of uh, all Dan Mullen's catchphrases, their relentless yeah, effort, yeah. <laughs> and, and the Gator standard, and all that sort of stuff. So he's clearly been paying attention for a little bit. But uh, I think it's interesting. You know, he also wrestles. This has been a common theme for these guys that Napier's brought in. I think I mentioned it last week that you look at just go down the list of all the people that Napier's brought in, um, and it almost always says they play basketball. In this case, this is somebody who's wrestled. Andrew Ivans over twenty four seven Sports calls an effort-based player with a motor that tends to run pretty hot, um, considering that that's the kind of player you need to stop a counter. Uh, probably <laughs> probably a good addition. Um, you know, look, I mean, the projection is a Power 5 starter. And, like, I mean, I've been saying this over and over and over again. If you have Power 5 starters coming out of your transition class, then that's, that's a positive thing. That's a significant add to your organization. And so a guy who's racked up, you know, like you mentioned, 20 sacks and 50 tackles for loss in his final two years of high school, a guy who's going to be good in backside pursuit, who should be pretty good at getting leverage considering that he's a wrestler, and then you teach him some pass rush moves and some other things and 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 get him to the quarterback. That that's a valuable asset to have on a team. And so I think this is a significant addition for Florida. I think at the end of the day, you want guys who, when things get tough, 
dreamed about being a Gator since they were six years old, because let's be honest, things are going to get tough for Florida at this point. If Napier's really going to turn the program around, if he's really going to change sort of the culture in terms of what Florida is in a sustainable program, he's going to need guys like Pyburn who care about the program and are willing to go through the growing pains that are inevitably are coming over the next year or two. And potentially even, you know, there might be some outside linebackers who come in next year who are better than Jack Byburn. And so, you know, being able to sort of set that the standard of what being a Florida player is going to be when those guys come in and being able to help supplement that, I think is going to be a big deal for Florida moving forward. Yeah. And JC Sherber, like he used to work for one of the recruiting sites, but he owns uh, bigspur.com now. Uh, so, uh, the big spur.com. I think it's more of a South Carolina site, uh, but he tweeted, and I retweeted this this morning uh, on Pyburn. This guy may be the most underrated defensive end in the entire country, a high four star just by film without question. I expect he will be great for the Gators. Do not sleep on this one. So, some high praise there coming uh, Jack Pyburn's way of, uh, you know, just uh, the various uh, services out there. Uh, there, so uh, I'm glad he's a Jacksonville kid. So I, I like the Jacksonville kids on the roster, and hopefully uh, go, goes out there. And I know he expects Will to, to be an early contributor. He wants to play early. Uh, his as his goal is to be all SEC freshman uh, there. So there's one Jack Pyburn uh, looking. Um, you would, would, <laughs> we talked about you know yeah, there's getting those contributors in the transition class. Um, he's talking about being one uh, pretty there early for the Gators. So. All right, there we go. There's the guys who committed to Florida that were kind of in question with Douglas uh, Farmer. Yeah, he was already committed to Florida, but there was some question about that. Uh, he stayed committed to Florida. Pyburn's commitment yesterday um, there. Of course, like I said, we wanted bigger, better news there with the big three Perkins, Citizen, Matthews. Didn't happen. Uh, so well, everybody else that was announced for Florida, we've already discussed when they committed to Florida uh, whether they transferred in, whether they committed over the last couple of weeks uh, or something like that. So, you know, I'll throw it up there on YouTube. There's the list one more time for all the uh, signees there for Florida. Uh, Will, one more interesting aspect of that. I know we talked about in-state before we sign off uh, here on that. But <clears throat> if you break it down, six from the state of Florida, three from the state of Texas, two from the state of Alabama, two from Oklahoma, one from Georgia, one from Louisiana, one from Maryland, one from Washington. Uh, there's kind of the, uh, the the state breakdown there of the Gator signees. Yeah, so all he needs to do to improve next year is bring in four or five five stars from Florida, and we'll take this exact <laughs> class with 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 just sort of raking in the talent from the state. I think we'll all be happy with right and. And uh, I think, you know, the, the disappointment of the guys who didn't go our way does color the way we look at this. I think Florida got better. I think Florida got guys who are going to contribute. I don't think we'll know. So we've seen typically historically guys who end up on that all SEC freshman team really do develop into solid starters and NFL players and potentially even all SEC players. So if you really want to start evaluating this class for Billy Napier, I think the time you're going to be able to evaluate it is in the November, December timeframe next year, when you start thinking about which of these guys are going to be all SEC freshmen. So if a guy like Pyburn plays and becomes an all SEC freshman, okay, that's a success. We put a check mark there. The question is we need about four of those, right? I, I think, you know, even if you look at, uh, at, uh, 
Saban. I think he got two all SEC guys from his transition class. But I do think there's a little bit of ground to be made up when it comes to when it comes to sort of where Georgia and Alabama are. So I'd say we need four. So if you look at the end of next year and Florida's got three or four guys on the all SEC freshman team, then I think we look back at this 2022 class and say it was a success. I think if you've got one guy or no guys on that all SEC freshman team, then we got to go like, okay, hopefully there's other things going on. Hopefully bringing in guys from the transfer portal has worked and hopefully we can sort of paper over some holes until we start really seeing the um, the benefits of the process that Napier's putting in place take hold. I think when I look at this, list there's a lot of high upside guys so you think about a guy like tony livingston who's really a freak athlete but hasn't necessarily found a position yet you look at a guy like david connor who again is a very good athlete but not necessarily a nuanced offensive tackle you look at a guy like Trey Smack, actually, and I think that's important too because I mean we all know what can happen when you've got struggles with the kicking game. So just again, you, you think about special teams, think about our game changer coordinator, making sure that we're making those sorts of plays and just making the 40-yard field goal when it's there. I think that's important. And even a guy like uh, – even a guy like yeah, – uh, Max- I mean, Hayden Hanson was somebody, you know, Billy Napier brought up really good today, uh, big time, like, hey, we tested this kid at Louisiana – you know, when, when he committed there, I was like, oh, how, how does this kid not have bigger offers? You know, this is a, you know, really respected head coach in Billy Napier uh, in, in recruiting circles. Now big enough now to get the Florida job. He's saying, well, well, you know, we tested this guy at Louisiana. And I'm, you know, I'm wondering what the deal is. <laughs> why this kid, you know, size measurables, we test him his speed and why he doesn't have larger offers. So, you know, if that's going to play out that way, then we'll eventually see that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And even a guy like Max Brown, um, the interesting thing, I didn't know this till today, but he said he's only been playing quarterback for a couple of years. And it's interesting because my analysis of Brown was he doesn't read defenses all that well, but he's got a pretty good arm, which is why he's ranked in that 1500 range for over, overall nationally. But that starts to make sense when you think about, OK, if he's only been playing quarterback for a couple of years, this is a guy who can develop into a guy who can be a significant contributor for the program. Plus, he does run pretty well as well. I think he ran for like 1500 yards last year. So there's a lot of talent here. The question is going to be what can Napier do with it? And, you know, even when you think about like the, when you think about what was the undoing for Dan Mullen, it wasn't the 2018 class. It was the 2019 class. The 2019 class had a ton of attrition, didn't have a bunch of five stars in it. The guys who did come who were highly ranked didn't really turn out all that well. And you just start look, going down that 2019 list and, and it's really ugly. And, uh, you know, so, and again, that 2019 class wasn't any better than the 2018 class just from a numbers perspective, right? And so, um, I think that's the thing is that this class is comparable to other transition classes that have been at Florida. I think you can argue, and I think I think it's an effective argument that this one is slightly worse than the one that Dan Mullen brought in from an overall number perspective. But again, if I go back to where Mullen where where the things started to slide downhill for Dan Mullen, it was Chris Steele being the best recruit in 2019 and never seeing the field. It was well, you you know, having that a guy like Jalen Jones. Yeah. You maybe pull up that 2019 class. It's so ugly. Oh my I mean, you're right, man. It's we we you know we we are we're going to get more into it of and we've already got into it just a bit of how important the bump class is. Yeah, you can see why there this past season looked like it hit rock bottom on the field. Because you go and look at this bump class. Oh my, it is 
It is bad. Yeah, I mean, the biggest contributors other than Kyrie Elam are probably Kingsley Agokun and Ethan White. Um, and I guess you could make an argument that the Abate and Tyron Hopper, right? But yep. those guys aren't with the program anymore. So, right. so the vast majority of guys from the 2019 class, which is the one that – like if you looked at the teams that were in the playoff, they had a bunch of all-conference guys from their 2019 class. Like that was a common theme across every team. The only team that wasn't true for was Alabama because it was their 2020 class that, <laughs> that was driving all of the guys, um, you know, driving them into the national championship or the national championship game. And so that's where this fell apart. I mean, when you really look at what happened for the Dan Mullen era, it was not the 2018 class. In fact, he kind of got what you would expect out of the 2018 class. He got some solid starters. You would have liked to have seen some more all sec guys but kyle pitts was like a you know a transcendent guy at tight end so he got his one all sec player if he played damian pierce more often he might have had two all sec players and you need five six seven all sec players from that from that bump class to to supplement that and mullen didn't get that and so he kept having to dip it in the transfer portal and i think that's the thing we want to look for is two three four guys from the guys you've got up here on the screen right now who turn into all SEC players in 2023 or 2024 and then supplement those guys with guys from the 2020 and 2021 classes. You know, we've already seen a lot from Trevez Johnson. We've already seen a lot from Rashad Torrance. We've already seen a lot from Jason Marshall. So there there's, there's talent there. And the question is going to be, can Napier pull the most out of that? And then can he supplement it with some stars coming forward in the 2023 class? All right, there you go. National signing day for Billy Napier's first class, the class of 2022 there. So, yeah, I'm not, uh, no overreaction for me. I don't think this is any indication there that uh, Florida's going to struggle on closing. Florida's going to struggle on getting top targets out there. More of a wait and see. We'll see. I, 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 like I said, I, I believe in the process. I believe in the foundation being built and, and really hitting in-state going into this Ever, ever, ever so important bump class uh, coming up for the Gators. So, what you got coming up uh, right here on the hills of National Signing Day? Yeah, so I'll have a I'll have a short sort of uh, statistical breakdown of it up tonight or tomorrow morning of what actually happened on Signing Day. Um, had some people over at the Patreon. Um, you know, we've, we've got a Patreon for read and reaction. People over there asked me some questions for a mailbag. That'll be up later this week as well. So if you're interested in supporting read and reaction, supporting, supporting what we do over there, head over to patreon.com slash read and reaction, and you can ask questions, interact with us. Um, bonus episodes of stuff we got, so, some exciting stuff we got coming up this off season, also into the, uh, also into the season next year. I, I'm excited for Utah. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where recruiting is interesting and, you know, obviously, um, over the last three or four years, there hasn't been a lot of hope around the recruiting trail. And if nothing else, there's still hope. There's still stuff to look forward to with Billy Napier. And so, um, you know, that old Morgan Freeman thing from the Shawshank Redemption where, you know, they're arguing about whether hope is a good thing or hope will drive you crazy. Think of the Dan mm-hmm. Mullen era. Hope drove me na- drove me crazy. So I'm, I'm still hopeful, but obviously there are still questions to be answered and, um, you know, we wouldn't have anything to talk about if everything like it would be boring to be to do Alabama breakdown and just be like, eh, brought in everybody again. Let's uh, let's go win a national championship. Like we just wouldn't there wouldn't be any episodes from like, you know, national signing day until the start of the season because you know, you just dominate every year. I'll trade it for trophies. It's fine. 
I know I would too. I'm, I'm lying. I would, I would enjoy covering Alabama, but you know, it, it is, it is an interesting concept. So, you know, you and I have a couple of Georgia fans. You're from Georgia. So, you know, <laughs> heck Stetson Bennett's from your hometown. So, yep. um, you know, while I wish they had lost, I, in some, in some really far place. Yeah, I know what well, I'm, I'm happy that they, or I wanted them to lose. But I am, I am paying attention to how appreciative they are for the championship. And I would say that in 2006 and 2008, I didn't appreciate how good those teams were and how rare that is that you get that opportunity. And I think as good as Steve Spurrier had Florida for so long, and then you had the Ron Zook three years where I was in school there. So thanks, Ron Zook, for that. And then we had Urban Meyer take over right when I left. Obviously, my timing is great. But then, you know, so basically the supposition was that at Florida, you win as long as you're not Ron Zook. And I don't think that's the appropriate supposition. I think this is hard. And I think we need to recognize that it's hard. And when Billy Napier has an awesome class and when Billy Napier builds Florida into a program that can compete with the Alabamas and the Georgias and the A&Ms and the Ohio States and the Clemsons of the world, we need to appreciate it because that's the lesson that I learned from 2021 looking at the Georgia fans who hadn't experienced this since 1980 is it doesn't come around that often. And so the build is fun. And breaking it down is fun, but you know, if we get, if Billy Napier is the guy we think he is, and if he can bring a championship to Florida, appreciate the ride, man, because you know, they don't come around that often. This is hard and it's fun, right? It's going to be fun to see someone build a program into something that you look at and go, I'm really proud of what happened, how this was built and the changes that have been made in the process. It's been followed. There we go. Good stuff from Will there. Yeah, nice perspective there. Those, yeah, well, let's start winning and let's start enjoying it. <laughs> so, uh, and yeah, kind of a tease there for on Will's side, my side too, Bill Sykes. I know Bill Sykes is going to have an article going up at Read and Reaction. Uh, he'll come on Gators Breakdown. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, discuss and, and talk about that. Some we'll get Bill's thoughts on the recruiting just in general. Uh, a lot of research there for bump classes that will be coming up too. Uh, but then, as Will has teased, a big, big look in the position. We know Florida has to hit so much better offensive line. And, yeah, Bill has some good stuff about how important offensive line recruiting is, uh, uh, for, for, for especially for SEC teams uh, in, in Florida. And just the failure that recruiting at that position has been, not only under Dan Mullen, but under Jim McElwain, dating back to Will Muschamp, it's just been ugh. And yeah, you'll see it in detail uh, right there. So, yeah, good stuff. Uh, and, Will, I know I reached out to him, too. I know this will be coming up um, with you guys um, like we did last year. We'll kind of go through the kind of a roster rundown. We'll bring on Nick Newson, Nick who's with you there uh, at Reed Reaction. Uh, so it'll be fun like we did last year uh, in breaking down the whole roster. So, everybody – all right, that'll do it for this episode. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. We'll get into, um, as I said, Bill Sykes next week uh, to talk a little bit more recruiting and probably maybe pick ahead of that 2023 uh, recruiting class just a bit as well. So I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. For Will Miles, thank you for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>